0: Here's the New Cold War podcast with Edward Lucas. The Chinese Communist Party is crushing Hong Kong. As I wrote in my fortnightly column for the London Times in late May 2020, Britain's inaction is shameful. The people of Hong Kong are making a desperate stand for freedom. The new national security law, railroaded through the communist regime's sham parliament in Beijing, not only criminalises dissent, but destroys the autonomous government and legal systems entrenched in the 1984 handover agreement with China. Those protesting in Hong Kong today will soon face the fate of their counterparts in China's other supposedly autonomous regions, disappearance and re-education. Their eyes are stinging from tear gas. Ours should sting from shame. Even before the latest power grab, the vice was tightening. Peaceful protesters were arrested, pro-democracy legislators and candidates disqualified, foreign journalists and activists expelled or denied entry, and local residents, including a British diplomatic employee, Simon Chang, abducted and maltreated. The former governor of Hong Kong, Chris Patton, has gathered more than 300 signatories from 30-plus countries for an open letter decrying the Beijing regime's power grab. Most of the signatories are from abroad, including many from countries such as Lithuania and Slovakia. They have no historical connection to our ex-colony, but they understand freedom, and perhaps better than British politicians do. The Government in London has issued a terse cross-joint statement with Canada and Australia. But we need deeds, not words. At a minimum, we, preferably jointly with our Commonwealth allies, should offer asylum to all people at risk of persecution in Hong Kong. In particular, we should upgrade the second-class British passports that give 250,000 people there limited right to visit this country. Late last year, the government was still refusing to look at this issue for fear of offending China. Such worries seem laughable now, and they're contemptible too. We have a moral obligation here. Whether you regard the British Empire with pride or shame, the loose ends are ours to deal with. But Britain's good name is at stake in another sense too. As Lord Patton argues, if we do not stand up for Hong Kong now, why should anybody think we will ever stand up for anyone over anything? Part of that response should be to raise the cost paid by the bullies of Beijing for their victory. Those responsible for repression in Hong Kong should no longer be able to travel freely to the West. These Magnitsky sanctions, named after a murdered Russian whistleblower, bring home to individual human rights abusers the consequences of their actions. We may not be able to save Hong Kong, but its fate can crystallise our response. It illustrates that China cannot be trusted to obey international treaties and that the regime puts paranoid xenophobic nationalism ahead of rational economic self-interest. This should be the basis for a belated but clear-eyed assessment of how we deal with China in future. Britain's already done this with Russia. In a landmark speech in 2017, Alex Younger, the chief of MI6, said the Kremlin exemplified the modern threats faced by this country and our allies. The government set priorities and acted on them, boosting our military response at home and in Eastern Europe, countering Russia's propaganda, curbing its mischief-making in ex-Yugoslavia and Ukraine, beefing up our cybersecurity, and hampering the Kremlin cronies' enjoyment of this country's flesh That job is incomplete, but progress exceeds what many, including me, expected. Now we need to do the same for China, a country whose clout, patience and sophistication make the Russian menace seem moth-eaten. Some steps have parallels. An important part of blunting the Russian threat was better energy security. The European Union's anti-monopoly powers helped bust the Kremlin's corrupt and exploitative gas export model in Eastern Europe. This success, scandalously unsung in Britain, involved diversifying supplies, improving storage and building a resilient north-south gas grid. In China's case, the much larger task is to diversify our supply chains, ranging from pharmaceuticals and medical equipment to the rare earths needed in modern electronics manufacturing. Japan is putting $2 billion of its pandemic-related economic stimulus package into helping its companies shift production away from China. We should do likewise. But we can take tips from elsewhere too. Australia's tough package of national security laws gives us some clues about how to harden our academic, media and political systems and on preventing penetration of our elite institutions by Chinese influence peddlers. The man who was Australia's Attorney General drafted those laws, George Brandis, is now his country's High Commissioner that's ambassador in Commonwealth diplomacy, in London. His views on Britain's vulnerabilities are pithy and informative. The next flare-up is likely to be over Taiwan. The mainland communist regime has pointedly dropped the word peaceful in its official rhetoric about reunification with the island democracy. We need to start thinking now about what we will do if China tries, for example, to blockade Taiwan. We can signal our support by boosting our ties with the democratic authorities there, for example by upgrading the British mission in Taipei and receiving high-level Taiwanese guests here in the UK. But the hard question is how to raise the political, economic and military cost of aggression to the point that decision-makers in Beijing back down. The only realistic answer is a global coalition. Many flinch at Donald Trump's fitful and splenetic Beijing bashing, rightly thinking perhaps that the president is seeking a distraction from his domestic problems. We can work harder on finding other allies, boosting what the New York Times recently called a middle power dynamic. But as in every geopolitical conflict in the last century, if we want to save ourselves, let alone Hong Kong, it will only be with America at our side. This is Edward Lucas with the New Cold War podcast. You can find more about me, my books, and other publications at edwardlucas.com or follow me on Twitter at Edward Lucas. This has been a homegrown media production. For more on the New Cold War, please visit edwardlucas.com.